I think there is absolutely zero chance that someone ever, not only Carol Salcaros, but anyone ever will reach the bar of 20 and even more. And welcome to a brand new edition of Match Points here on TennisMajors.com, where you know we come to debate and discuss the biggest stories and topics in tennis. And today, of course, the post-US Open edition. Let's say hello once again to the panel. I kind of feel like they don't need an introduction because you know them so well, but let's say hi once again very briefly. Marian Bartoli, of course. Carol Bouchard, of course. And he, with the curly hair to come as the episode progresses, hair still wet, Penn Rothenberg. All right, Ben, let's get started, team. Uh, the US Open has just completed, and um, we like to overreact, as you know, and the producers do in particular. So I ask you, on a scale of one to 10, how likely is it that Carlos Alcarez will break Rafa Nadal's record of 22 major championships? It's a bit of a leap, but let's do that as we overreact. Uh, ben, you're nodding already. Uh, how likely, scale one to 10, that Alcarez breaks 22 majors? I will say two. I, I think that this is a crazy bar to be setting for anybody to win 22 Grand Slams, and it's completely unfair to him to start off with that being the metric of 22 or bust, you know, in his career. I mean, he's, he's a child. He won one Grand Slam. He had a nice year. Congratulations to him. But it's going to take some recalibration, I think, for all of us to sort of reset from this period of where we had four players, you know, in Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, and Serena, who all got over 20 or 20 or more Grand Slams. So that's not normal, and that's an unfair expectation to hit. You know, back, I remember in my childhood, you know, it was considered great when Andre Agassi hit eight Grand Slams, and that was an amazing sort of all-time great career. And so I think 20 is, 22, you're saying, is completely unfair. So hard under on 22, uh, I will say t- two out of 10. Ben has it at a two, Carol Bouchard, scale of one to 10, how likely that uh, he breaks 22. He's only got to do it 21 more times. Uh, What's your number, Carol Bouchard? Well, I'm at one. I wanted to be generous and go up to three, thinking maybe if his generation is really, you know, far below his potential, maybe he'll have a free away than Rafa and Novak who had each other and then in the end Roger, but I'm still at one because it's it's a crazy number. I mean, not long ago, we were at 14 for some price, thinking, oh my God, 14, who is going to beat this? We have two guys at 22, one guy's at 20. It's not normal, so forget about it. Marian Bartoli, same question to you. Uh, scale of one to 10, how likely? Is it not possible to say zero? So if the lower slammer is one, then I will go for one because I think there is absolutely zero chance that someone ever, not only Carlos Alcaraz, but anyone ever will reach the bar of 20 and even more. Um, I think what those three guys have been achieving over those years is completely out of normality, and I don't think anyone can replicate that. But um, that said, of course, Carlos Alcaraz, it's an amazing, amazing achievement what he has done in the US Open, but I don't think it's realistic to set the bar for him at 20 and over. Um, I think only three human beings have been able to do that, and I think that would be down for history for centuries. Um, so I think my answer is one. I, I will say what Carol said, though, I think is right. This generation is almost certainly going to be weaker than the big three generations. So there could be space for him to win more, maybe a little bit like Steffi Grafted, get a bit of a weak era and rack him up. But uh, but yeah, not not like 20 as a given, no way. A little more parity, perhaps. All right, let's stay in Alcarez. His coach, uh, Juan Carlos Ferraro, claims that Alcarez is only playing at 60% of his potential. How much do you believe what Juan Carlos is saying. And let's begin with you, Carol Bouchard. Well, I think it's tough for him to say that at 19, he's already at 100% because he's not really motivating. I think it's also a nice mind game with the other ones. I mean, Juan Carlos Ferrero is a discreet guy, but he knows how to play the game. So, I mean, it's 
I don't think 60, but for sure he has a lot of room of improvement, but not, not that fair. They want, they want to also impress the land and that's fun. Marian Bartoli, how much do you believe that Alcarez is only at 60% of his potential? I mean, I think physically he's close to 100. Um, I mean, the guy has been playing three sets, three matches and five sets in a row. Um, and look to be completely fresh in the final. So I don't think physically he can improve massively, maybe five, ten more percent, but that's about it. I think on his game, the way he structures the points and the way he plays sometimes, you can see he's trying to go for too much too soon, and that's why he gets a little bit erratic in the numbers of enforced terrors, and that was definitely the case in Ron Garros when you know, he almost lost to a figure Spaniard player in Ramos Villonas being match point down, having more than, I think, 60 or 70 enforced terrors because he was trying to go for more. So I think in the way he's structured, tactically, his game, he still has room for improvement, but I don't think in the shots he's going to hit 10 times harder. But I think I see the point of improvement more on the tactic part um, and, and the way he's going to structure his match from now on, because obviously he's going to be the guy to beat and, and the new number one in the world, and it's a whole new status. But 20%, 25% maximum will be my, my number, but more on the tactical side than the technical or the physical aspect. Yeah, Ben, uh, um, Marion brings up a great point. It, it may be 60% potential, but that may be in maturity and decision-making uh, more so than the physicalities and mechanics. But but how much do you believe of the 60% projection uh, thus far of his coach, Juan Carlos Ferrara? I, I agree almost exactly with what Marion said. I, I think that physically it's hard to imagine him much better because his endurance is unbelievable and his speed is unbelievable and his power is unbelievable. So how much more room there is for any of those categories? And his technique is you know good. I think... I was going to phrase it more as focus than as tactics sometimes. I just think there's times in this match where he gets, you know, a bit of, I say this with love, you know, Monfils brain and goes for some sort of like overly entertaining shot or some low percentage shot or just tries and gives away a bunch of cheap points in a row to let someone back in a match. Like he's not winning with score lines that show you that he's dominating people the way that he could. He's making, keeping matches close. He's keeping the opponent within striking range because he has these ups and downs mentally. And so I think that sort of focus will come with maturity and some more tactical high percentage. Although he might never change, you know, always wanting to go for being a showman and, and going for the dramatic shot. I think that's that's part of what makes people like him. So hopefully he doesn't lose that uh, altogether. But there is room to become more efficient in his play for sure. On American television, Patrick McEnroe said what I was trying to put into words, and that is, there's those points that he tries to win with emphasis, and those are the ones he loses when he needs to just hit it with 60, 70 percent. It's a winner, but instead he over, and then you see that, and that's part of maturing in the game, I guess. All right, so let's stay on the subject once more um, with Carlos Alcaraz, and let's particularly focus on the quarterfinal between he and Yannick Sinner, who's Ben's boy. Um, is this what we saw an all-time legendary match? Was this a truly a great, great legendary match? And also, did this officially usher in a new era of tennis between these two? We've been talking so much about next gens and that. Did that match officially take us to, okay, here we go. Here's a matchup we'll see for a decade plus. Uh, ben, get us started. I hope so. I mean, I think that match was incredible. Just the level of tennis. People talk about the length and the latest finish. And the length was fine. But the actual just quality of some of these rallies that both of these guys going full out especially like in the, you know the third set and was incredible and, and Sinner was playing really really well in that match and obviously served for it could have won it very well and really could have won the U.S. Open it just shows the potential of what can happen when you put a ginger in a night session there's no sunlight to bother them it, it, it's magic can happen so it, w- it was great to see that and, and <laughs> hopefully Sinner can be the king of midnight matches for a long time to come at the U.S. Open uh, 
of course, I say that as someone also very pale with, with love. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I thought it was great. And who knows if it's going to if it's gonna balance out. But Sinner had beaten Alcaraz twice this summer already. He beat him at Wimbledon, and he beat him in the Umag final, and both times with pretty emphatic wins in the end. So this was a major mental hurdle for Alcaraz to get over this in this quarterfinal. And, and yeah, I think this absolutely is the most exciting rivalry we have in that sort of whatever you want to call the Alcaraz generation. I think those are the two guys who... Who break it out and Sinner, you know, hasn't made a slam semifinal yet. He's still obviously because he lost that match, he would have if he won it, but he has some room to grow. But I think it's a really, really great matchup and two just very different uh players. And yeah, it was great. And perhaps that can be the title of your next book, uh, Ginger at a Night Match. I hope so. Ginger hashtag Gingers Need Night Sessions. I've, I've used it before, yes. Ginger Night Session. Uh, Marian Bartoli did this quarter, uh, you know, Ben's been talking up Yannick Sinner for a year plus. He said he'd be the next of these next-gen guys to get a major. Not to point out that Ben was wrong, but let's do that for a second. But uh, did this did this quarter usher in a new era where we say, okay, these two might have that kind of rivalry thing that we'll see for a decade plus? Did, did we see the, you know, the start of a new era as a result? I truly think so, but I think we're forgetting some names in the mix that will come back. Um, I think Tsitsipas will, you know, start to get his mojo again and will start to get into the mix as well. I think Zverev, when he's going to come back, is going to be in the mix as well. So we will have that plus few other names, two or three, to kind of go for the last stage of a Grand Slam and, you know, go for the titles. I think, I don't think it would be only one-sided rivalry like Sunrise and Agassi and Roger and Rafa and then Nova coming in as well. I think we will have three, four, maybe other names that absolutely will be in the quarterfinals moving on forwards into a Grand Slam and looking to get the titles. But um, was it a great match? It was an absolutely insane match. And I think Sinner is going to be the next one of that gen to win a slam for sure to back up Ben because he has a game. He, he hit the ball so hard. He beat Alcaraz already twice, as Ben said. So he's right there in terms of level. It's just for him mentally to get a little tougher and to be maybe probably a little, you know, more, not meaner, meaner on the court, but less nice, I would say. Because you feel like he's always sort of, you know, the nice guy, the nice kid. Um, and, and you need to have a little bit of that sort of that mean spirit and that fire inside to go for those Grand Slam. But does he have the level? Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. Not meaner, but less nice, perhaps. Uh, Carol Bouchard, same question. Does this usher in a new era, perhaps, a great rivalry between these two? Oh, definitely a great rivalry because they have styles that are matching, that are good for the show. It's great for the generation because it shows them that, okay, if they can get there. I mean, those guys, even if they're young, they've been already traumatized by Nadal and Djokovic for four years already. Like, ask Dimitrov how does it feel? So it's good that they are able to show up this level at this stage of a tournament and both at the same time. Uh, but it's funny that I think tennis people sometimes we have short memory because I remember Nadal Djokovic 2011 final year that was insane. We were like, oh my god, nobody is going to ever play that well. And you know, it's just we're getting used to something that uh, an abnormal level. Maybe we forgot also because Medvedev had a different style. It's a bit slower, and the opposition. I mean, Novak and Rafa winning everything. You, you kind of forget some people. Other people can play like this. And I think Alcaraz and Sinner they have this flashy game, great shots, and for like, oh, the young ones they can do it too, and that makes it. Oh my God, we forgot the young ones could do it. So I think you know it's great for this generation. I've totally agree with Marion about Sinner. I love that guy's game because it's so fluid. It's an easy power, but. He likes a bit of edges. 
he's a really nice guy, extremely polite, and I need. I think after this match, maybe he's going to get with Miner because you're facing Alcaraz, who is he's feeding with of the energy of the court so well. He, like Alina Krafa, I hate saying this, but he will die on that court instead of giving you one point, and you have to fight with him. So I think for Sinner it's going to be a fantastic experience because he has struggled this year with injuries, with changing coaches, with maybe being a bit lost. And since Wimbledon, I mean, Darren Kyle coming in a team, you see the result immediately. I think for Sinner, even if he lost, it's a major, major uh, um, click for him this year. All right. Um, by the way, Marion inspired the title of my autobiography, Less Nice, which will be the story of my life. Um, one more question here, and we'll go quickly on Carlos Alcaraz. Hypothetically, if the Australian Open were to begin in two weeks, if, we know it's not the case, but if it were to be the case, what chance would you give Alcaraz to win it compared to your chances against Novak Djokovic and Rafa Nadal? Where would you place his chances? Marian Bartoli, get us started. 30% Alcaraz, 70% Djokovic. Rafa, with what's happening privately outside with his wife, you know, the tear and the abs and stuff. We get 70% Alcaraz, 30% Rafa. But I would still get the age for Novak at, at the Australian Open because that's just his court. I mean, that's his house. Even been more dominating there than in Wimbledon. It's so hard to beat him there. So I, I will go for Novak, lean for Novak in that in that matchup, but I would lean for Carlos in that matchup with Rafa. Carol Bouchard, what odds would you give? What percentage chance Alcaraz to win it compared to that of Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, if hypothetically it were in two weeks from now? In two weeks, it's tough because Novak is lacking matches and Rafa is lacking fitness and maybe a bit of, you know, being... All right, so let's say a month. Let's change it to a month. Enough time. A month time. I'd pick Novak over Alcaraz in, in, a, in Melbourne for sure because it's his ground and I still think he has a bit more in his game right now uh, at Pick Alcaraz over Rafa, I'm sorry, Rafa, because the momentum and, I mean, that's not Rafa's strongest surface there. Um, but I, I honestly, personally, would be interested to see Rafa at his best, Novak at his best against Alcaraz, and maybe we're never going to see this because of the age difference. I would still pick those two over him, but I, I hope that they have still a couple of years where we can see this matchup because also it's going to push Alcaraz to be even better. It could be fantastic. Madrid, Djokovic-Alcaraz match in Madrid was absolutely fantastic. So I hope we'll have those matches. And yeah, we'll see. Ben, real quick, where do you put his odds if that were to be the case? I, I, I would, actually at this point, I would pick Alcaraz over Djokovic, I think, because I just don't think Djokovic has the, the match prep. And we saw how slow he was to come back uh, in the clay season this year when he didn't play Indian Wells in Miami. He had a very slow start to the clay. Um, and so we'll see what I think he's going to play some European tournaments this fall I would imagine so he'll get some matches but uh, in this imaginary scenario where it's like the next big tournament I don't think he has the the time to get the confidence back and also currently he's not legally allowed into Australia that will we'll see if that if that even gets there that's a different kind of doesn't really matter for this hypothetical but uh, Australia is going to be a place I don't know if it will still have the same feeling for Djokovic when he goes back after everything that happened uh, this year it could be a different sort of mental vibe for him in, in Melbourne in the future all right, now moving over to the women's side of this U.S. Open, but let's go back even a year ago. At the end of the 2021 season, Maria Sharapova told Serena that she was better than everyone else in the field. And after beating a world number two in this U.S. Open, Sharapova claimed that that was proof of what she had said the year before. How much do you agree with Maria Sharapova's proclamation Serena's actually better than the entire field? Ben Rothenberg, get us started. 
I don't know that Sherpa meant it as literally as every single person you're going to win all the time. I think she just said, like, your level is still there to be good in this field. And we saw that from Serena for sure. And Serena really came back pretty last minute and, you know, wasn't in great physical preparation, especially for the beginning of her comeback at Wimbledon. And, gosh, it looked rough for her in Canada and Cincinnati, especially Cincinnati. It was really not looking great for her for New York. But, yeah, but by the time she got to New York and she put in the... The training matches there and everything, she looks ready to go and ready to, you know, potentially beat almost anybody. Uh, it's different than winning seven matches in a row. It's a big challenge to put that kind of consistency together when you've played so little. But Serena was, was great. I mean, she definitely exceeded my expectations. Uh, the win over Contivate is a great win. Contivate not playing anything like a number two, honestly, this year, especially at the Grand Slams. And so maybe it's more like a good top 20 win than a number two win, realistically. Um, but it's still on paper. It's an amazing feat to be 40 years old and beat the number two seed at a Grand Slam. And that can't be denied. Um, so I thought it was great for Serena overall. I, just, I thought it was a really, you know, it wasn't obviously a title, but kind of a dream first week for her of just having the crowd show her love and getting to show tennis that kind of did her legacy justice. I thought it was really, really great. Kira Bouchard, same question. How much do you believe? Serena being able to play and practice normally would be better than most of that field, I would say. Uh, that was not the case here because her body clearly couldn't contend the full season. I don't think she'd be better than Iga Swiatek, for example. But no. I think Serena, at her best now, is still, for me, better than most of that field because, I mean, the power is already much more important. She has a better serve. She's when she's moving, we saw in New York, when she's finally moving again, she, she's covering her ground so well. And this generation, they had something, it's tough to explain, but they play so much faster, so much more aggressive. They're on this court because they want to win so bad. They're going to slit your throat, basically. So I still think her and others from this generation, they will be better than most of the players we have now, except somebody like Iga Siontek who has this. This, I'm going to win every freaking point and I will leave you not even crumbles. That's a mindset. That's why they're better. Well, I think knowing Maria Sharapova a little bit, um, she basically meant that, you know, when the sort of era of 2000, 2010, or 2015, Serena and herself were playing, it was just so much better than what she's seeing now. Um, I think that was behind what she said, what she actually meant. Uh, do I agree to this? I think so as well. Um, you can see from the level of the matches and the intensity when you throw in the mix Justina and Kim Clashters and Amelia Moresmo and, and you get just incredible and Venus Williams as well, of course. Incredible level of matches. Now that said, for Serena at 40 years old to expect her to play the same level as when she was in her 20s, that's just not something realistically we can expect from her. But we can see that from glimpses of those levels that she had in the past, even at you know, without disrespect at all, of course, at her age, to be able to produce that is just something extraordinary. And that still beat a lot of players those days because Wimbledon, since in Toronto, she was just not ready for it. She just put basically 10 days of practice and and she was, you know, right in there. You didn't feel like, what is she doing on the court? You know, she, she get her two first round matches. She beat Contevate in the second round. She really had a great match against Alia Tomljanovic. So, by just 10 days of practice, literally, at 40 years old. Um, so I think when you put all of that in perspective, the best of Serena Williams will be better than the best of Iga Schwantek. Without disrespect, I think Iga Schwantek will agree to this as well. Um, so I think that was the whole meaning of, of what Maria meant to be, and, and I think I completely agree with that. But, you know, we never see Serena again at her best level, so we're sort of wanting her to have a great finish if that was the last match, because... 
which her comments, you know, instead of now we have the small doubts, was it the last match or not? But was it a beautiful farewell and a beautiful way the US Open did it to really give her the tribute she deserves? Absolutely. I mean, I think everyone was in tears um, during that ceremony after her first round matches when she won against Covid. I think the way they, they put it together with the sign, we love Serena, with the music, with you know her daughter coming into the court, her family coming into the court, that moved me. And, and I think that's what, what Serena wanted. I don't think she thought that she would win the US Open, but I think she wanted to have that kind of you know, farewell and, and saying goodbye to tennis. And, and we'll come back to Serena in just a little bit, but let's go back a little earlier to you mentioned earlier, the champion, the actual champion, Iga Svantec. After her U.S. Open championship, where exactly do you place her as a current and future great? Where does she get played? And I know we overreact, but Ben Rothenberg, it's your first crack at it. Look, I mean, Iga has, has one of those tournaments where you just start wondering, okay, how many is she going to win overall? You know, and it's different than Alcaraz even. I mean, I'm not going to pick over 20 for Iga either. This, again, would be insane. But I, I think that, you know, Iga just looks like she's in a position where she can wrap them up, and she's this much better than the field. It's been a long time, I think, since we had anybody who was so clearly much better than everybody else on the tour. Serena. And, well, probably since, I mean, like, peak Serena. Even I don't even know if, like... 2015 Serena was even that maybe 2013 Serena, but it's been a long time, whatever it was, um, since Serena since Serena was that far ahead, and and yeah, but Iga looks that way, and she's not comfortable in New York. She doesn't like the conditions. She doesn't like the balls. She doesn't like the sort of city and the noise of everything. But she still her tennis was still good enough that it got her to win, and she beat uh, some good players. She did not have an easy draw in that tournament for what was there. She beat three top ten players. Uh, there and there's been a lot of women's slams that have been won recently without beating top players, but that's not what Wittiga did at this tournament. So, so that was really impressive for her. And yeah, I think that she absolutely has the chance to be, you know, the greatest regeneration. I think winning, you know, I, I, I don't numbers seem unfair because I think also thinking back to like point like just what 18 months ago when Naomi Osaka won the 2021 Australian Open, it was her fourth, and we were like, wow, here she goes, she's going to rack them up so much, and now the last 18 months of her have been, she hasn't come close really to winning another one, and you just don't know what the future holds for any of these people, you really don't, but for Iga right now, everything is good, she seems to be very stable, her coach Thomas Viktorovsky has her playing a really smart brand of tennis, and she's so, so good in these big matches, like the, the finals of these years, she's just lethal in these finals, and makes them complete blowouts consistently, so... I, I think she can be there, and I think she's definitely the best of her generation, and we'll just be great to see her raising the bar for everyone to catch up to, and we who knows if it's going to be someone like an Osaka, like an Andrescu, who we already know, who kind of levels back up and gets to be the challenger, or if it's some new person like Zhang Chinwen or Coco Golf or something like that who steps up and becomes the rival, but right now, he has a lot of space between her and the, the peloton uh, in the race, and she can continue increasing that distance, and there's no reason she can't win you know, the Australian Open next year to start off and with to the your bang. Point, I, yeah, to your point, I can't remember if it was U.S. Open 2014 or 15, but heading into that U.S. Open, the gap between Serena and number two was the same amount of points as it was between two and 132. So that's something that, another level. Um, Marion Bartoli, same question for you. Where do you place Iga as a current and as a great in the future overall? I'm struggling to answer that question because when I saw Iga at Wimbledon, first few rounds, I'm like, oh my God, I mean, this run is going to end fairly quickly. And it did fairly quickly and, and, you know, not in a great way. And then the US Open swing comes in the hard court um, in the US and, and she's struggling massively with her forehand and the sort of, you know, back in the day struggles are coming back and can come back very quickly with Iga. And this is the thing that 
you know, it reminds she, the way she was playing in Toronto and Cincy reminded me the way she played the, the year's end championship last year. At the end, when you just doubt every single time she's going to hit a forehand, whether it's going to go in or in the bottom of the net. And I was amazed by the switch she has been able to do again for the US Open and really um, get that confidence back. And then when she get that confidence back, yes, she's much better than the rest of the field. But for her, it's just when she starts to get that deep into the confidence, then the, the technical issues are starting to come back. And that's where she can almost, I would not say lose to anybody, but she can lose to a lot of players. And a lot of players can expose that weakness. Um, so that said, I think, would she get to eight to 10? I fairly think about it because I think on clay, she's so good. She's gonna win a lot more French Open. And I think between Australian Open and the US, she will get a few more of the titles. So I would place her between eight and 10, which is already an incredible number. Um, but it's just that forehand and that second serve that I can see, you know, when she's lacking that confidence, it just comes back and comes back and comes back. And I think some players will start to pile on it. And, and that sort of new generation and new wave of player that hit the ball so hard, Coco Goff, Fruvitova, all those girls are starting to be, you know, under 20 years old and knocking at the door, um, will be the sort of next threat for her, really. For me, she's, I would say, current great because this is the way she won this US Open. I've been so impressed. She she came she came in with zero confidence. As Marion said, we can see the, the forehand sometimes. It's when she's doubting, the whole game basically is collapsing. But she found a way to just got back right on track. And these only champions do that. There's no way arriving on a Grand Slam with such little confidence you end with the trophy if you're not one of the, the greatest. Also, she's maybe the first one of this generation that is owning the fact she wants to dominate. All right, gang, overall on this both men's and women's side of this 2022 US Open, who impressed you the most and who disappointed you equally the most uh, during this year's tournament? Who impressed you most and who disappointed you most? Marin Bartoli, who impressed you first? You go first. Well, I will not go with the obvious names because Serena impressed me and Alcaraz impressed me and Iga Swiatek impressed me, but I will go with Karin Garcia. Um, the run that she had all the way to the semifinal, that quarterfinal that she played night against Coco Goff and, and she was able to play that well, playing such a difficult game, being so aggressive, so inside the court. Um, for her first time finally reaching the semifinal of her Grand Slam, I think that was extremely impressive. Um, and the disappointment, Tsitsipas, but especially in the way he lost, it's just that six off, fall off down or something. It was, it was just ridiculous. You know, in, in almost, I was looking at my husband, I was like, is that a woman's match? I mean, you're top five and you're six off, five off down against someone 19 in the world. Is it like a woman's draw? It was, it was just insane. The Jesus call line was ridiculous. So I would go with Tsitsipas. All right, Carol Bouchard, same question. Who impressed you most? Who disappointed you most in this US Open? I was hesitating between Iga and Karen Garcia. But at Iga, it's so obvious, but still for me, she was so far away when it started that I, I have to pick her because she she really proved the point and I, I was surprised. I have all the, the belief in her and even me, I was like, wow, she did it. So I'd still go with, with Iga and the disappointment. I think Tsitsipas, I, I was so ready to see something weird happen because it's been in such a, a fun those past months. I'm not even surprised. It's more a match that has pissed me off, actually. This Canepi Sabalenka match. Six, mm. two, five, one up. And I'm sorry. And I love Kaya because she's a drug killer. She comes into a big event and she, she can't beat anybody. And she's like 37. That's fantastic what she's doing. Girl, six, two, five, one up. No. 
So I'd, I'd pick that one. I'm sorry. All right, Ben, before, before you answer, Ben, I'm going to answer for you because I can read nonverbals, as you guys know, and I can actually read sometimes people's minds. Ben's going to answer Francis Tiafo, isn't Ben? That's a good work. I was going to say Francis Tiafo. Yeah, so seeing Tiafo. Uh, as Josh predicted, uh, well done. I mean, he's, he's I'm home cooking because he's from D.C., also from right near D.C., so I've known him since he was a kid. And he, uh, yeah, he, he was, you know, really incredible at stepping up and getting this big win over Nadal. Nadal was not happy to lose that match, clearly, but Francis to step up, and he's always had the sort of showmanship and the charisma, but to have the tennis actually be on level where he could have beaten Alcaraz in that match, I mean, pushing Alcaraz to five sets in the semifinals, Tiafoe was very close to having this sort of miracle run at this tournament, and, and you just saw what it meant to, to America and to American culture and just, you know, black America, especially, obviously, having pe- having mm. the first uh, African-American man to make a U.S. Open semifinal since Arthur Ashe. Uh, it's a huge deal for, mm. for tennis in this country, and, and hopefully... Uh, more of that to come for Tiafo, who did seem like Tiafo when he was on track. It seemed like okay, this could be sort of a transition tournament, maybe between big three and 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 some new generation. When Tiafo looked like he could win, but then Alcaraz rushed ahead and just took it, and already seemed like we skipped ahead to a Alcaraz era. But yeah, Tiafo is my pick for uh, most uh, impressive for sure. And then and then and on the disappointment side, on disappointment, Ben's going to say Simona Halep. Oh, that's a great pick, actually. That is a great pick. But I but I I know I wasn't. That you know, she actually—that's a, <laughs> a better answer than my answer. So maybe she changed. Mister Simona Halep, yeah, crashing out. That was a really shocking loss. Honestly, losing to Darius Nigger in the first round—not a match anyone thought would be tough. Not a match that she seemed prepared for. She had come in uh, winning Canada. She was my pick to win the U.S. Open, and for her to lose that quickly um, against a player who really she should be beating. I mean, Daria played a very brave match, but when you watch her technically, you're like, how is this person competing with Simona Halep? It didn't—it didn't make sense. Um, so that's that's a very good pick. I was actually thinking more along the lines of, it's not really fair, but I've just been disappointed this year. And Tsitsipas is the best answer, I think, for sure, because how we lost to Galan is, was ridiculous. But um, Medvedev has really disappointed me this year, too, ever since Australia, basically, ever since he got to number one. And just seeing him just seem to not really have the belief against Kyrgios, even, uh, was was disappointing. And so Medvedev going out like that as defending champion. It, Kyrgios has been playing great. It's not a bad loss, per se, but just his... His sort of his absence this year has frustrated me a lot. There's a lot of guy, a lot of players on both men's and women's sides who had good years last year who just really have not been factors this year, and it's been frustrating to see. And Medvedev is is one of them. So there's a lot of, actually, sadly, there's a lot of good answers on disappointment for this tournament. Yeah, Simona Halep's was disappointing because you know her coach is is our friend here at TennisMajors.com, Patrick Rotteglu, who you know I have a friend who coaches UFC fighters, and he says, look, I can prepare you, I can't fight the fight for you. And you kind of felt during that match like, oh, Halep, we had greater expectation for. It just didn't seem to be able to execute on that day. And, and you know, for Francis Tiafo, you know, that's a holiday. That's a, that's a Monday in America. That's a holiday. And there's a lot of kids watching ESPN that maybe don't feel welcome on a tennis court, that maybe don't feel they belong. It's a country club sport. And I think a lot of kids see Francis Tiafo as they did Venus and Serena 20 plus years ago and think, I can do this too. Um there's representation that truly matters. And, and I love to see that, particularly in that setting for, for a nation to realize the next generation of those that felt, I'm not welcome. Yes, you are welcome. You're wanted as well. All right, let's move on and let's continue. Um, obviously, it was the farewell run of Serena Williams, for now anyway. I want you to complete this sentence for me. Serena Williams' run at the 2022 U.S. Open was blank. Serena's run at the 2022 U.S. Open was blank. Ben, how would you complete that statement? You know, I think it was kind of perfect. I think that, honestly, like, it was, she got the reception from the crowd. And people have to remember, like, 
when the Williamses first came on the scene at the U.S. Open, they were the crowds were not on their side. They they really had a tough time getting getting tennis audiences to appreciate them and to cheer for them. And that was a journey for a lot of their career. And so for Serena to have this complete love fest to end her career, and that really has been sort of the vibe, you know, for the last seven eight years of her career, roughly. You know, since she was going for the Grand Slam, I think people really came around on her and maybe she mellowed a bit and the crowd mellowed a bit and just sort of came together in this way that made it much more uh, attractive for, for as a relationship for the crowd and Serena Williams. Um, so to get that sort of love set off was, was great. And she showed the tennis she could have. And she also showed that, you know, there's still good players out there. I mean, the loss of Tomjanovich, you know, who's a top 50, top 40 kind of player, you know, shows that still the tour is good. You know, if, if Serena just, there would have been some, and I don't really agree with these critics, but there would have been some critics if Serena had like won this tournament saying like, what is, you know, what is going on in women's tennis that this, you know, 40-year-old with no practice, even if she is great, can come up, show up and beat the field. But she got pushed. Uh, Kontovic played pretty well against her, really. And even though she's having a bad year, and, and Tavjanovic played an amazing match. And, and Serena seemed content with that, you know. And she also got to play the doubles with Venus. Uh, she had a really, really nice tournament. She owned the first week of the tournament. She got the highest ever rating for any tennis match on ESPN, that third round against Tavjanovic, higher than the previous, like, Federer winning Wimbledon final, whatever the previous record was. So... Um, which on a Friday night, which is not usually a big TV night in the U.S. So, um, yeah, Serena got got a great get send off, and and I think she couldn't have asked for realistically much more. Like, what would okay, if she made one more round or whatever and loses to Samsonova? Is that better, really? I don't think so. So I think that you know she she got a, a perfect run. I was I was very content for her, and I think that she seemed remarkably really content with it too. Uh, Martin Bartoli, um, complete the sentence. Serena Williams' run at the 2022 U.S. Open was. Beyond remarkable, and I will never ever forget that image when she just walked onto the court on that first night match with her outfit that just had sparkle everywhere and the cape. And I would just, that was totally Serena's move. And I think every single girl at that moment dreamed to have that outfit. I was just like, I hope that brand is gonna, I can't say the brand, but it's gonna release it and we can buy it and purchase it somewhere because I think every girl wants to play with that outfit, which is. That perfect princess dress, which is all the sparkle, all the glitters, it was just so beautiful. And I think, once again, the level of play she has been able to display, just the amount of love she received, all the celebrities tuning in from LeBron James to Tiger Woods to Gigi Hadid, Beladid, Michelle Obama, you name it. It was just everyone looks to be behind Serena's cause. And Billie Jean King's speech, I think, was for me just so perfect, so touched, just the word she used was absolutely on the spot, and just the emotions, the overall emotion was just incredible. You can hear the emotion in Marion's household. Some folks are very upset Say, I'm with the farewell of... I want my yeah, mom, Serena, I don't want you to work Serena, anymore. <laughs> Serena's run at the US Open was, if I were to fill in the blank, I'd say um, satisfying, and perfectly appropriate of a farewell for the greatest of all time. It just felt like how the story was supposed to play. And I was, I snuck into that suite Friday night for the final match. I was ticketed for the building, but I snuck into the family suite. And when Serena was being interviewed on the court and saying farewell, Nanny had brought Olympia right down next to me and her head's right here. And she's blowing kisses to her mother on the court. And I just looked to my right and thought, boy, there's an image that um, you hope the baby remembers as well as I know I'll remember for the rest of my time. Last question, guys. We're short on time here. Yes or no. This is predictive. Yes or no. Will Serena Williams ever play 
in a major, again, you, she looked good here toward the end of this open and you know she's have to change her mind and she's the most competitive person some of us have ever known when she ever play in a, in a major tournament again, a single match. Ben? It's tough, but all my, I mean, I, no. I, if I had to pick, I have to say no, because I mean, she retired and had this great send off and it was, you know, a very satisfying ending for everybody. And I, but the thing is like, she knows that she was great. But the thing is also, if she's going to come back and play Australia, she has to actually put in like a full effort and train for three months and not have any what ifs. She kind of left some what ifs out there in this tournament of what if I'd come back, what if I'd done the full thing, which is maybe a satisfying way for her ego to tell herself she could still do without having to actually put it all on the line, honestly, and, and actually go for it 100%. You say no. I say no. You say, say no. no. All right, Carol Bouchard, will we ever see Serena play in a major match again? No, actually, I would say no. What, what, one, one trend among the greatest of all time in at least North American sports is they go away, then they try and they do come back. Um, <laughs> Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Martin Bartoli, yes or no, will Serena ever play in one of these major uh, matches again? U.S. Open next year, perhaps. Yes well, no? my, my heart say yes, because, you know, I don't, I never, I would never have enough of Serena's matches. Um, but my head say no, because I don't think she would put the hard work. And I think it was such a good way to hand this time that I don't think you want to repeat it and take the risk to just, you know, do something a lot worse next time. Um, so my, my heart would say yes, my head would say no. But with Serena, you never know. But still, I would go with no with my head. It was a great story. It was it was a, for winning two matches and playing a third in prime time, as Ben said, the most watched television event, uh, tennis-wise, in US, uh, ESPN in the U.S. Um, it was a remarkable um, week of celebration of a career and uh, a, a personality and an icon where, again, representation and opening the game to the world where others felt like, I guess I'm allowed to play this game too. Hell, I guess I'm even allowed to be great. Um, so I think we all agree on that. For our panel, Ben Rothenberg, Carol Bouchard, Martin Bartoli, Josh Conte, thank you for watching. Uh, remember, check out all of the content here at TennisMajor.com, including the audio-only podcast. Subscribe on social media, rate, review, etc. And we will catch you next time for the next episode of Match Points right here on TennisMajors.com. <laughs>